So when I think about this effort, tourism is really kind of top of the funnel. And, you know, that that's for a lot of folks, their first experience with Michigan. And we really want to make sure that we continue investing in, like I said, that iconic brand that is Pure Michigan, and also um, really partnering arm in arm with the tourism industry and hospitality industry across the state to ensure they have what they need to, um, you know, continue providing great experiences for folks that are, you know, coming to Michigan for the first time. Okay, ready? This is it. This is the show. What's with the pineapple? A brand new podcast from the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Pineapples don't grow in Michigan. No, not native to Michigan. Let me write that down. Putting a, a hospitality spin on what exactly is going on in Lansing. Shed some light on the industry specifically in Michigan. I think we're going to have some good guests. What is with the pineapple? What's with the industry? What's going on in Michigan? We can edit this if that's not right, right? Okay, episode 30. Happy 30th episode, Justin. Wow, what do we get for 30? Is there a special... Well, I got engaged for 30, so... I'm just here (laughs) still and excited for 30 and 30 more and 30 after that. You know, I think we're transforming the hospitality industry in Michigan. To say the least. To say... To say the the least, maybe a little strong, but yeah, let's go with it. 30 episodes. I can't believe it. It's flying by. We have a really good one. Hillary Doe, the chief growth officer for Michigan, joined us at the end of this episode. So stay tuned for that interview. Uh, but be- she was so good, by the way. So She's good. polished, knows her stuff. Uh, Michigan's in good hands. She hits it right on the point and cares a lot about our state, which is what we need. And this industry. All right. Before we get there, let's jump into our segments, Pineapple Express. A lot of topics here in this one today. To start us off, Celsius. Have you heard of it? Only because you drink 15 of them a day. Yeah. Got to keep going somehow. Uh, it has expanded its food service channel through a partnership with Duncan and Jersey Mike's. So I find this interesting that they're expanding into the restaurant space. So now you'll be able to get these anywhere you go because they're, they're already here in the office for you every day. I bring them, but yes. For listeners, I've had one of these once, and it was a trippy experience. It's 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 a lot. I'm, and listen, I'm a four cup, maybe five cup a day coffee drinker. Yeah. It's not like I'm anti-caffeine. These things are a little little hot. So, how many milligrams of caffeine do you think you're taking in daily? No idea. <laughs> great, great discussion for the pod. <laughs> zero zero concept of how much caffeine is in that much coffee. But I know that I get wired on coffee, but it's a different feel than the one time I had a Celsius, which was just mm, unsettling. Just too concentrated for you. Yeah. It's but clearly people like them. The, they're taking over here at the office. They're, they they're expanding into multiple brands. I mean, is, is this going to cut into Dunkin'? I mean, Dunkin' Coffee is fantastic. Why are we going to... It's interesting that they're selling it at Dunkin'. Yeah. Like, you know, at the MRLA runs on Celsius. Mm. It's, pretty, I, it's pretty good. I'm a Dunkin' guy. You know I'm a Dunkin' guy. I like... Yeah, you are. I like the midnight roast, too, by the way. Don't sleep on the dark roast. I don't want to get into it right now, but the the, the dark roast debate in this office, it enrages me. I you have, you have somehow taken over to where the only coffee that's brewed is the dark roast, and I find it disgusting. A bad dark roast is still better than a better than average, we'll call it medium roast. But Celsius is always on the top. There's plenty of those. So in 2022, Pepsi invested $550 million into Celsius. 
that allowed the energy drink company to open more distribution channels. Seems to be working. Including food service. It sure is. Celsius was founded in 2004, but I feel like they've really come on the scene just the last few years. 2004. Like that was an era where I would still drink a monster from time to time. How are they different? The, the branding. The branding is just it does. I'm looking at your Celsius it's on cute. the table right now. It says live fit. I love the idea that this is a health drink. It's in the health section at the store. Mm. I mean, well done, guys. Why is it healthy? I don't know. I have no idea. And how much, how much caffeine does it have in it? 200 milligrams. Is that a lot? In one can. Yeah, Seems I think like a, lot. a cup of coffee has 60. Oh. So it depends on how fast you drink it, you know? Are you at, are you still at a one a day or or one a day, one a day, or I would be like having a panic attack in the corner for sure. But its popularity has grown significantly. Its revenue in 2022 rose 108% to $653 million. I would invest. Yeah. It might be too late. So I think, I don't know. I just think this is interesting because they're, they're going to go into on the go establishments. You're not going to be sitting down at Applebee's and having a Celsius with your lunch or dinner. Why not? But if you can grab it, take it back to the office. Get it on the rocks? I've done that before. Have you ever mixed it with alcohol? No. It'd be an interesting mix going on there. The thought has never crossed my mind. Also, I feel like I would have a heart attack. Hmm. Like literally, I think it would be. So we're not recommending that. (laughs) No. (laughs) Take note. Just to be clear to our listeners, do not mix Celsius with alcohol. We do not endorse it and we are not liable. But also report back if you do it. All right. What's next on the list? Talk to me a little bit about restaurant sales in September. I think I find these numbers somewhat surprising. They are uh, showing surprising strength in the last month. Restaurant and bar sales are up 9.2% over the past year, despite a host of challenges. And such as student loan repayments are, are back to being collected, but it's not having any big impact And the restaurant and bar sales rose 0.9% in September from August. So from last, well, I guess that was two months ago now. So what is this telling us? It's telling us that people still care about experiences and they're going to keep going out to restaurants and paying what they're being asked to pay, right? Yeah, I think we've talked about restaurants just being too big to fail, that they they can weather better economic downturns because it is just the the concept, the experience of being in a restaurant, whether it's carry out or dine in is just ingrained into the American culture. I'm surprised just because we've seen the macro numbers, the the gross savings that were built up to record highs during the pandemic have all, have all been spent. And that on the, on the macro level, the aggregate for, for Americans, that they are well back into credit card debt and other debt to a degree that was that has exceeded pre-pandemic levels. And I think I just saw a stat yesterday, two days ago, that uh, auto loan defaults are uh, higher than they were and getting higher than they were in 2019. So oh, interesting. concerns that we are overextended uh, a little bit uh, post-pandemic and, and that those chickens haven't come home to roost just yet. You're still seeing growth. I think that in the same month you saw restaurant uh, workforce growth, I mean, which would make sense going hand in hand with the, the demand continuing to increase from where it was in, in August. Though I think we had to make the point clear in Michigan that not all states are created equal. Michigan still is growing, but is one of just a, a small handful of states that are, are that their workforce in this industry is still more than 3% down from where it was pre-pandemic. I think I saw a tweet about that maybe. Powerful. Yeah, I think it went viral. I think I was the only retweet on it. Within this office. (laughs) But the point being made. It's an important point. We support economic growth. We want to see it. I just don't think that this industry, especially in Michigan, 
has had it to the same degree. I think we are still experiencing some of the fallout, some of the challenges coming out of the pandemic, and frankly, related to our discussion with uh, Hillary Doe, that we are a net migration loss state, that we are losing more people than we're getting back. And, and we need to turn we need to turn that curve around. And this industry, as we'll talk about later as well, is is downstream of, of Michigan's broader economy, which means we need to bring in population. We need to create more jobs uh, than we are right now if we want to see this industry succeed as well. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that this doesn't mean that the net income of a restaurant is is doing particularly well either. It doesn't, you know, we hear how tough it is out there from all of our members every day. And that reality is still true. Despite these numbers, the, you know, their cost of operations is still high. So I think that's important to asterisk as well. Okay. A story you brought to the table today. Why don't you take it away? Well, I want to make sure that we're talking both of our industries, both of our memberships, uh, some interesting stuff in the hotel world right now and the choice window merger and whether it will go forward this would have a huge impact, especially if you are on the franchisee side uh, of the equation. Uh, merging these two companies would dramatically impact that experience for for franchisees, and so there's there's concern. I, I think that they're eager to slow this process down a little bit and better understand what this merger would mean for for them on the franchisee side. Our partners at Ahoa, the Asian American Hotel. Owners Association, their members represent something like 60% of all hotels operating in Michigan, have been a loud voice on this nationally and someone we've worked with uh, on this conversation as well. So we are certainly not saying we are anti-merger. You know, we work with the industry, I think, hand in glove very well, but this would have a dramatic impact, I think, to a lot of franchisees across the country and certainly here in Michigan. So something we're paying close attention to right now. Because it could potentially create something similar to like a monopoly. Is that kind of the overarching theme of the the conversation? Especially more on the economy side and lower mid tier within the hotel industry, I think that that would that would create something close to a, a monopoly in that space, and so that leads a little less flexibility uh, for the franchisee to be successful. Got it. That makes sense. Maybe we can have someone from Ahoa on the podcast soon. That would be good. Great idea. Thank you. Last on the list, we. I'm sorry, the Hospitality Training Institute of Michigan launched its free 12-week course applications this week. What is the Hospitality Training Institute of Michigan, Justin, better known as HTIM or the TIM? It is a licensed proprietary school operating in Michigan created by this association in the wake of the pandemic, trying to create some training to quickly upskill people working in this industry and also try to recruit back some of those people. We just talked about this. Some of those people lost who, who left for other industries, demonstrating that this is an industry that has a ladder of opportunity, that, that, that it, through certification and training, is trying to professionalize itself to a greater degree. And I don't think that there's a whole lot of people in this space. I know that some universities, some universities uh, and some community colleges offer hospitality-specific programs. But what if you're working in this industry and you're trying to take that next, next step to be a manager or maybe assistant manager, but you need some skill sets and you don't have those yet, this 12-week program is a great way to help uh, upskill you quickly. And so 
through our work advocating with the state legislature, we're able to get some some one-time state appropriations that will help incentivize you as an employer to send some of your people, uh, some of your your team members who who you think are ripe and ready for an opportunity to grow. And and I think that's what the HTM is all about. And we can do so. We can do this now free of charge or at no cost to your employee right now. And I think that's something uh, you should look into at htim.com. Absolutely. We are offering, we have 2,000 at no cost seats available uh, to applicants. Applications are currently open. So if you're an employer listening, uh, you can fill out the form and register your employees that you would like to send through the program. Or if you're uh, an employee listening and you want to step up in your hospitality career, you can apply yourself as well. htim.com or htim.com slash step up for that application directly. Listen, and again, it, this is a $2,500 certification program that's going to be made available for just this limited amount of time while we have uh, some some state appropriations available for us uh, at no cost to your team members. And then we're also offering a $500 incentive for making sure that they're not just starting, but they're completing the certification program and, and getting certified. Uh, so... Uh, actually an opportunity for $500 bonus for all of your team members that complete the program. So this is not going to exist forever. And frank, frankly, I think we were surprised by how quick people responded and how many applications we got in in this first week. So it is limited time. There are only 2,000 slots available. So sign up today at htim.com. Michiganders know there are good lakes, and then there are great lakes. Same goes with restaurants. Good restaurants get the big things right. Great restaurants focus on the details. Spot On can help. Their tech provides up-to-the-minute sales and labor reporting to increase revenue and control costs, so you can take your business from good to great. That's why Spot On's point-of-sale and labor management tools are trusted by great Michigan restaurants, like the Vicari Restaurant Group. Spot On Tech has improved the ordering process at Andiamo's and Joe Muir and empowered their general managers with more accessible data that helps move the needle. Joe Muir increased dessert sales by 18% thanks to business insights from Spot On Reporting, leading to an additional $25,000 in revenue. In the words of Dominic Vicari himself, Spot On helps me be more proactive than reactive. With Spot On, you not only get access to business tools that help you save time and make key decisions, you also get 24-7 dedicated support from real humans who care. It's more than good, it's great. To learn more, visit spoton.com. That's S-P-O-T-O-N.com slash associations slash Michigan dash R-A. All right, let's get into For Fork's Sake. I don't think anything has made me say For Fork's Sake more than last Friday's Board of Canvassers meeting. Should we recap that for the listeners? Oh, boy. Sure. We have We have been tracking and working on and engaged with the tip credit issue and it's in the pursuit of its elimination by a group called One Fair Wage or Raise the Wage, depending on what they are and which day of the week, uh, for a long time, for a very long time. The most recent ballot iteration was attempted to be on the ballot in 2022. The proposal would have raised the minimum wage to $15 an hour and eliminated the tip credit. They did not. They ran into some challenges collecting signatures like so many people did in 2022, frankly. Uh, submitted them well past the deadline to try to get onto the 2024 ballot. Well, they finally had their day before the Board of Canvassers, whose job it is to review and certify or fail to certify proposals for the ballot. It was a unique situation 
in that it was brought to light from attorneys that we work with through Michigan Opportunity, a ballot committee specifically designed in opposition of this ballot proposal, that they changed this proposal, raised the wage, seeking to increase the minimum wage and eliminate, eliminate the tip credit through what seems to be just error and an inability to, to, to proofread uh, what they put out there, made changes to the proposal during the process and circulated a proposal that actually sets the definition of employer at 21, not two, not one, which they were uh, attempting to do, trying to change that definition that any employer to, would qualify if they had one employee. However, wrote the proposal in a way that says 21. So if you are a business, a small business in Michigan operating with 21 or fewer employees, you would not qualify for the minimum wage in Michigan at all, which means you would fall to the federal minimum wage of $7.25 an hour and a tip credit of $2.13 an hour, tip minimum wage of $2.13 an hour, which is a decrease in the minimum wage for 85 to 90% of all small businesses, all businesses hard stop in Michigan. I don't think anyone who was signing this understood that this was the case. In addition to that, they made a mistake as it relates to the tip credit where they intended to write that gratuities, tips, could not or may not count towards uh, meeting wage requirements in Michigan and just forgot that important word of not. So it, it saves the, it preserves the tip credit, technically. It, it literally says gratuities may count, may count towards meeting wage requirements in Michigan, which is unbelievable. You can't believe you honestly. So an, an, an attempt to eliminate the tip credit and raise the minimum wage to $15 will, would actually, if approved for the ballot, decrease the minimum wage for a vast majority of, of uh, small businesses in Michigan and save the tip credit for everyone. And so here's the challenge that they have, because the board of canvassers saw this change and said, no, thank you. We're not certifying this chaotic mess, right. which purports to do one thing, but clearly does something else. And so now it's up to Raise the Wage Michigan to decide if it wants to appeal to the Supreme Court to have the Supreme Court force this on the ballot, which is a challenging situation for the court to be in, because it would need the, the process, if it chooses to do so, is that, that it would then go to the Michigan legislature, who has 40 days, and the Michigan legislature would either need to send it to the ballot outright, which means they're moving a decrease in the minimum wage, they are keeping a tip credit in, in, the, in this proposal, which is the opposite of what the group's trying to do, or they would have to amend it huh. to, to, to do so. Uh, in other words, if you are listening to this podcast and have heard us talk about, quote, adopt and amend, what this group is asking for and is on the record asking for is the legislature to just fix this, to adopt it, and then amend, amend it, it to accomplish what they'd like to see, which is to fix the language to increase the minimum wage to $15 an hour and eliminate the tip credit for all restaurant operators, any operator that uses tipped employees at, at all right now. And the irony that this exact same group is also before the Supreme Court as a plaintiff arguing that adopt and amend is unconstitutional. That irony is not lost on me, but it's fascinating to stand back and watch. From 2018, there... That is that, that goes it. all the way back from the 2018 ballot proposal that when the legislature chose to adopt and amend it in a way that still kept an increase in the minimum wage, still still increased the minimum wage, but retained a tip credit uh, in, in the state of Michigan, like 42 other states, that by doing so, by adopting and amending, that was unconstitutional. The Supreme Court is going to hear arguments on that in the next couple of months of whether that is constitutional. And when the plaintiffs themselves are proactive 
in their statement that they want the legislature to adopt an amendment. It puts them in an awkward position. So I don't know. I mean, by the time this public this is this podcast is published, it's possible that we will see uh, that they have appealed to the Supreme Court. But as of today, today being Thursday, October twenty sixth, at eleven twenty five a.m., they have they have not. I think they have a, a couple more days before that that deadline to appeal uh, runs out. So uh, a fascinating place to be in. It's being covered nationally, and it's being covered here a lot in Michigan. And just it's 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 a head scratcher. If, if this is an issue you are not accustomed to following closely all the time, it's a real head scratcher. It is. It is confusing. So, so for next steps, they if they decide to appeal, then it would go to the court. There would be some sort of arguments, hearing, proceeding, or something, and then essentially the court could decide to force the board of canvassers to certify it. And then the legislature has is it forty five days to forty forty days to adopt it. If they adopt it, that means it literally becomes law. Immediately, but that means okay. adopting it as it is, right? Which would be a decrease in the minimum wage and retaining the tip credit, which again is not the objective. But yes, that's that's what that's what the language that, that's literally the language that has been circulated that gained all the signatures right. to move this forward. Or it can just go to the ballot. Am I understanding? If they reject like, it, it goes straight to the ballot, and now you're sending to the the voters of Michigan the ability to, to vote a decrease. decrease in the minimum wage and to vote a permanent retention of the tip credit. And if that passes, it, it, it the Michigan Constitution requires that anything that goes to the ballot and is passed by the people, therefore, would require three-fourths majority to amend those sections of law that were passed by the citizens directly at any future date. So that would really permanently in place uh, a, a tip credit. It would be real hard to see mm. 75% come together to try to change that trajectory. So it's a fascinating it is. It's a fascinating position for us, frankly, as an association, right? When we hear from our members, and, and it consistently polls where 88 to 90% of our members want to keep a tip credit in place, that they believe that's a business model that works for the industry, works for them, works for their uh, their servers, and customers appreciate it and prefer it, all those things, it puts us in an interesting position because we have been you know, opposed to what this group is trying to do, which is eliminate the tip credit, and, uh, and, and willing to have a reasonable conversation, I think, on minimum wage. But to, to find out that you might have something that actually would decrease, uh, it, it puts us in, in, in where we would position ourselves on this issue in a, in a unique position, I'll say. It's really interesting. Yeah. So so the other option is that, that they don't appeal, then it's just done. It's just dead. For, this, for this round. Correct. Okay. Man, well, stay tuned. A lot going on there. If anything, well, let's just hope we don't have to insert any re-records into this episode. Wouldn't be the first time. Okay. What else do we have going on for Fork's sake in government affairs world? So House Bill 5048, the lodging excise tax increase for cities or townships. You want to talk a little bit about that? We're in some negotiations around that topic based on feedback from our membership, correct? You want to go into what's happening there? Yeah, that looks looks like we may have the outlines of, of a deal on this one going forward, which is great. I think there's been a back and a forth and a back and a forth and a back and a forth and whether we were going to expand the scope of hotel taxes for guests and how wide that, that would be. And it, it looks like a version that's likely to pass the House today in, in what's known as an H5. That means there's been five iterations of this bill and it hasn't even gone out of one chamber. That's, that's a lot of back and forth. That's Whoa. a lot of, when I say it's back and forth, that's a lot of changes. A volley. In a short amount of time. But the, 
the headline here is that it would it would keep this issue specifically to the the Grand Rapids and Kent County area, which is where they have the opportunity to expand with some aquariums and some amphitheaters and things that will draw guests in that create a return on the investment for a hotel who's willing to tack on uh, that that two percent excise tax uh, for its guests in that jurisdiction. What it doesn't do though is make it a statewide opportunity for everyone, because what has worried us from the hotel industry perspective is that this becomes the chic new thing for local governments that Mm. they are going to seek hotel taxes everywhere and for everything that is fitting their local desires right that they will fit the bill that the hotel guests will fit the bill for them to do any kind of general fund services uh, that should be paid for with general taxes on everyone not just one industry gotcha yep so stay tuned on this, but I think we have we have we have really worked aggressively on this issue and worked with our partners at the CVBs uh, as well to voice our concerns on behalf of the industry in, in in moving this forward in a way that I think accomplishes what we want for the hotels that are looking for this opportunity, but prevents at least in this iteration a free for all on hotel taxes paying for everything going forward. But stay tuned. I'm a little worried that the floodgates have been opened. Hmm. Uh, conceptually, and by the way, on both sides of the aisle, that this can be your magic elixir to fix any local issue you have, uh, local funding issue you have uh, going forward. So we'll be we'll be focused very closely on this going forward. Interesting. All right. Well, with that, I think it uh, wraps up the the segments portion, and let's get into our interview. All right, Hillary Doe, the Chief Growth Officer at MEDC, joins us today. As Chief Growth Officer, Hillary leads the state's efforts to grow Michigan's population, economy, and reputation as the best place to live, work, raise a family, and start a business. Hillary works alongside the Growing Michigan Together Council in a once-in-a-generation effort to grow Michigan's population, boost economic growth, and make Michigan the place everyone wants to call home. Hillary is a dynamic leader in nonprofits, technology, strategy, and public policy. She served as the national director at the Roosevelt Network, where she built and led an organization engaging thousands of young people in civic engagement and social change programming at chapters nationwide, which ultimately earned the organization recognition as a recipient of the MacArthur Award for Creative and Effective Institutions. She also served as vice president of the Roosevelt Institute, where she oversaw strategy and expanded the Institute's Four Freedom Center with the goal of empowering communities and reducing inequality alongside the greatest economists of our generations. Most recently, she served as president and chief strategy officer at Nation Builder, working to equip the world's leaders with software to grow their movements, businesses, and organizations while spreading democracy. Hillary is a graduate of the University of Michigan's Honors College and Ford School of Public Policy, a Detroit resident and proud Michigander. Hillary, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. This is a huge get for us, Emily. Hillary, thank you for making the time. This is great. (laughs) Sorry for the long bio there. (laughs) That's a great bio. It's great, though. (laughs) Emily, why don't you start with the first question? Yeah. So your position as chief growth officer with the Michigan Economic Development Corporation is the first of its kind. How did that come about? Um, and what is that? What does that title really mean? Yeah, it is the first of its kind for the state of Michigan, but also the first for any state in the country. And uh, the way it came about, frankly, is that we have 
you know, a big challenge ahead of us. And it's not just Michigan. Michigan's one of 34% of states that have been seeing population declines and many more have been seeing stagnation. And to really take that head on, it's a complex problem, right? It doesn't have one solution. We have to think about boosting the economy, retaining and attracting talent, and also frankly telling our story to folks here in our state, across the country and around the world, that Michigan is a great place to call home and start your business and build your future, frankly. So, you know, I'm proud to say that Michigan's the first because we're really taking it head on and really trying to take a broad sort of ecosystem approach, thinking about structural policy reforms that can help set us up for growth, regional planning, because growth will look different in all different parts of our state, and pilots, experiments we can try in different parts of the state that can help trigger growth, but also a big marketing and branding effort, frankly, that we hope will really drive um, engagement and, and growth in communities across our state. Well, Emily knows I'm ecstatic that we've created, frankly, this opportunity. I'm a couple years older than you are, Hillary, but I've had that experience just being a Michigander my entire life, watching all of my friends, well, maybe all is a slight exaggeration, many of them leave, go to Chicago, go to D.C., some to New York and L.A., and being frustrated that a lot of that talent that grew up with me and, and went to college here left. And, you know, listen, I, I enjoyed spending a lot of time in Chicago in my 20s, but wanted to see Michigan be a hub and a center for that and, and being frustrated that it felt like state government wasn't doing its part to create that environment. So thank you as someone who's grown up and been frustrated that we're taking head on this challenge. And it's exciting that we are first in the nation to try to deal with this issue. Yeah, no, I'm excited about it too. I guess I'm what they call a boomerang. I, you know, grew up here, went to school here, um, left for about 10 years, and then um, was really excited, you know, fighting my way home. And, you know, from where I sit, obviously, Michiganders have gone out and conquered all kinds of industries and, you know, built incredible careers in all kinds of places. What we want to be sure about is that no one feels like they've got to go right, that there's there's opportunity here for everybody who wants it. No one feels like they've got to go. And that we're telling the story of the incredible opportunity we've got here in the future. So, you know, when I moved back, it wasn't just for nostalgia or just to be close to family. It's honestly because I'm really betting on Michigan's future. We're so strategically positioned to lead these high growth industries, like tackling the climate crisis, um, high growth industries in advanced manufacturing, for example, novel technologies. Um, we have incredible natural resources, as we all well know. It's time for us to brag a little bit more about Michigan and really be on the vanguard of, you know, tackling this population growth issue. Well, it's a huge task. I'm glad you're at the helm. Give me a sense. What does success look like a year from now or five years from now if we've done this right? Yeah. So the first task at hand that we've really taken on pretty boldly is a really ambitious public engagement effort. And the reason we're doing that is because we really need to listen to what growth looks like for different regions across across our state. So what growth looks like in the UP is going to be different than the vision for growth in Grand Rapids or Detroit. And we really want to listen to the community and have community-driven solutions for growth. So we are starting there. We will have had 70 public engagement events between end of August and end of November, and really an incredibly ambitious, truly, public engagement effort. And that listening has been been so important and so helpful for thinking about what our, you know, distinctive competencies are and strategic advantages are and where we can really lean in with our strategic plan in the months to come. So we'll be announcing that and and really launching that effort um, end of this year, beginning of next year. Uh, But in terms of metrics and outputs, the first metric we're really looking to move is the net migration metric. So to um, sort of start growing Michigan's population, we need to be a positive net migration state. 
right now, Michigan sees more folks leaving the state than coming in domestically. So we really need to turn that around. And it's the primary first target we're looking to hit here um, in the next few years, certainly in the next five. Yeah, so we've talked quite a bit on, well, in our last episode about the You Can in Michigan campaign that was launched two weeks ago, I believe. We also had a healthy debate about the pronunciation of that campaign (laughs) because Justin, for some reason, (laughs) thought it was You Can in Michigan, even though no one says Michigan. I'm just saying there's some alliteration there. That's all. I just, for starters, I call that like a slant rhyme. (laughs) (laughs) There's a word. So can you just clarify the pronunciation and give an overview of what the campaign is and what some of the goals are associated with that? Well, in terms of the pronunciation, I say, make it your own. I say you can in (laughs) Michigan, but, you know, make it your own. And the second question you said, what were some of the goals of that campaign? Yeah. And just like an overview of, of the campaign itself. Yeah, for sure. Well, for folks who haven't seen it yet, head over to the michiganlife.org. You can check it out. Um, I'm really excited about it. I think what the campaign's trying to center is this incredible um, set of opportunities that we have here in Michigan. So when we look at, for example, population growth, folks don't just move for only a job, for example. They're looking for all three legs of the stool, a welcoming place to call home, really vibrant communities and great places, but also great opportunities. And so when you watch that campaign, what you'll see are examples of the incredible opportunities we have and really interesting exciting, high growth, future building industries combined alongside the vibrant places that we have across our state. And that really is a strategic advantage we have. We have these incredible cities. We have incredible smaller towns and rural areas, beautiful places to relax and, you know, leave after after you have to leave your death. And so the, the campaign's really meant to center that and try to help folks think about Michigan, not just as a great place to visit, but also a great place to call home, really working together hand in hand with the iconic, you know, pure Michigan brand that has served the state so well. If we can, can we get into the the bread and butter for, for us in this podcast and most of our listeners? Sure. It's the hospitality industry. It's it's the restaurants, the bars, the resorts, the hotels across uh, this great state. How can how should this industry think about your efforts? How can they be a part of being or being a part of the solution here? No, absolutely. Well, I am grateful. First of all, thank you to all the folks in the hospitality industry across our state um, because they're really a front door for Michigan's growth. Um, you know, they're answering the door with the with the hot coffee and cookies. And it's it's really incredible and helpful for this Grow Michigan effort that those first experiences folks have are so great in our wonderful places across the state. So when I think about this effort, tourism is really kind of top of the funnel. And, you know, that that's for a lot of folks, their first experience with Michigan. And we really want to make sure that we continue investing in, like I said, that iconic brand that is Pure Michigan, and also um, really partnering arm in arm with the tourism industry and hospitality industry across the state to ensure they have what they need to, um, you know, continue providing great experiences for folks that are, you know, coming to Michigan for the first time. Um, But what I hope this campaign also does is sort of builds out Michigan's value prop even more broadly further down the funnel so that, you know, your first experience might be in tourism, but you also have atmospheric support in sort of our brand awareness. The Michigan might be a great place to look to stay that you should tell your friends about, that you should build word of mouth about and maybe even move here and build your future here. So um, I really do want to stay in close partnership with tourism and hospitality as, you know, that incredible partner at the top of the funnel. Emily had a great idea in our last podcast that it just exactly what you said. If 
We oh, should be yeah. integrating the, the tourism opportunity. As you're looking at the UConn in Michigan site, give us that webpage site again. Oh, michiganlife.org. At michiganlife.org, that we should integrate a little bit of the travel tourism side of the equation here, because if you haven't been here yet, we'll book a trip, come see it firsthand, let us uh, put out the red carpet for you, and then what comes next is hopefully an idea that you're going to relocate professionally and uh, and personally as well here for the state. So I thought that was a great idea, something to yeah, take back. That is a great idea. Yeah. I mean, I'll say um, one of the things I've done so far is my team's looked into um, talent attraction and retention efforts across the state, what things that have been successful or relatively more successful. And some of them are actually, you know, that have been the most successful are almost like tours, sort of um, making sure they have, people are having good experiences and guided experiences here in the state. And I think tourism and our, you know, really incredible tourism industry. And, and like I said, this sort of iconic brand that we've had for a long time are a great, you know, um, sort of strategic and competitive advantage we have here. So I love that idea. Awesome. I think we can weave in agritourism, culinary tour, uh, tourism that exists already and find yeah. a way to make it all work. I like it. Emily, what do you got? I like next? it. Look at us. We're making things there today. There we go. <laughs> I like it. Creative. Someone say we're growing together, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah. So you've mentioned, obviously, the Pure Michigan campaign and how that will work hand in hand. But just to be realistic, I think when the announcement of this campaign came out, I watched the press conference. There were questions about, you know, Pure Michigan and what does that mean for for that budget and the, just the marketing overall mm-hmm. and that. So can you expand a little bit more on how you see Pure Michigan fitting into this overall equation of population growth and, you know, the segmented yep. out uh, marketing campaigns for the state? Yeah, I mean, truly, I I really meant it when I said I think they do work hand in hand. I think that's everybody's intention. Pure Michigan has really paved the way as a brand that people know in Michigan um, and one associated with that very top of the funnel. Right. And I think you can in Michigan is an attempt to expand on that and have folks start thinking about also, you know, getting their first job here and building a life here. The targets initially for you can in Michigan, though, it's the national campaign are, um, you know, our border states, but also states across the country with a lot of younger tech talent, um, because we have a lot of those jobs here in Michigan and um, a lot of open jobs, frankly. And so we're excited for those folks to come and join us. So it's a little bit of a sort of different pitch. As you probably well know, marketing is most effective when it's nice and segmented and we're, you know, talking to the people that we intend to talk to. So I think what a gift for folks to, you know, already know Michigan's a beautiful place to visit and now we have an opportunity to be exposed to the kind of lifestyle and um, kind of jobs that are available here. So the intention is really to keep investing in both of those things. And I'll say it's really the first of its kind you can in Michigan uh, of any campaign like it across um, the rest of our states. And so together, they're a real powerhouse of opportunity, I think, for telling Michigan's story. Yeah, that's great. What is the, you said the border states are obviously the, the primary audience at the moment. Is there a plan around approaching universities and attracting them to move here. As Justin said, you know, a lot of his friends back in the day uh, moved to Chicago, (laughs) but, you know, attracting them to move to Michigan and or, you know, we hear from our members in hotels when they're trying to attract, you know, hospitality talent that a lot of our universities are pushing them out of the state. So is there an approach with with the universities on that front to work with UCAN and Michigan and Growing Michigan? Yeah, so the Grand Michigan Together Council 
Um, I'll say that the university presidents across our state have really raised their hands and wanted to participate in this effort um, to help us really grow Michigan. So they've been great partners since we launched the effort in, in June. And they've actually hosted us at universities across the state to do some of our public engagement efforts. We've really tried to skew younger. So over 50% of our survey respondents have been between 18 and 34 as we're you know doing our public engagement work, listening to folks about you know the value prop that we need to build here in Michigan to make sure folks want to stay here and build their life here. So I definitely have been deeply engaged with those folks thinking about how to ensure that we have a strong value prop there. We've also talked a little bit about some of the sort of attraction and retention incentives that might be most compelling to young folks and to our you know university grads both here in Michigan and around the country and I'll share one piece of feedback from our national poll because I thought it was so interesting and compelling we asked young folks 18 to 34 uh, across the country in uh, cities that are growing among young folks hey you know what do you love about the place that you are and what would it take for you to consider a place you've never thought of before to call home. We offered a bunch of options from, you know, cash incentives to student loan forgiveness, you name it. We were just really curious to try to get underneath what might be motivating. And the um, number one response that blew everything else away was actually access to housing and um, a down payment on a home, sort of being able to move into ownership. And that's really interesting for Michigan because of our, you know, cost of living. It's not sufficient by itself, but combined with the opportunities and our great places, if we can lean into access to ownership for both our grads here in Michigan that are graduating, but also across the country, that seems like a really interesting insight for us to explore. So the Growing Michigan Council, Together Council is looking at that, looking at, you know, reverse student loan forgiveness for retirement pension incentives to stay here in the state, you know, all kinds of, of options to think about how to wrap arms around our, our recent grads and those folks graduating from universities across the country. Yeah, it sounds like a huge project, but it's nice to hear that, you know, you guys have thought about all of these different avenues. Well, certainly this industry and, and definitely this association wants to be part of the solution, wants to uh, help shape, help collaborate, be at the table to the extent that it's relevant for us. Because I think Restaurants play such an important role in placemaking. Uh, I think we've seen that as as urban centers really had a chance to be reborn with restaurants at the tip of the spear here. Um, I think that they can help create the kind of space that you're looking for and and want to be part of that solution. But they're also downstream of economic growth, right? We need new new uh, population, new uh, economic opportunity for us to then open up more restaurants and more hotels. Uh, And so we need that kind of growth as well. So we are are leading and in need uh, as it relates to this council here. So we're just please uh, let us be a resource to the extent that we can uh, to the work you're doing, because I think it's very important. Yeah, I'd call it a flywheel like, you know, that we can both um, spark growth by helping be great placemakers, as you said, restaurants and our sort of broader hospitality and tourism industry, and that those new folks that come join our communities will be great, you know, sort of customers for all of those places as well and help them continue to grow and, and help seed more growth. So it really is, I think, a flywheel that we're trying to get started here and are very much eager for partnership I'll say that, you know, we're thinking about uh, the ways that we can be great partners and support. And one of those ways is, you know, and we've received a lot of interest from regions across the state who want to be part of the You Can in Michigan campaign. And we're thinking about how do we incorporate sort of more regional messages and be great partners to folks across the state to to drive some of that growth as well. Love it. Love it. Well, we'll hit one more question here. And I think it's I think it's a unique opportunity for our futures. How does, how does weather 
play into Michigan's advantage? Because I often talk about that. It, it hasn't come to fruition yet, but, but that day is coming where Michigan's weather will be its net advantage, not its uh, deficit. I absolutely agree with you. And I love that you're already out there beating that drum. <laughs> I want to inspire other folks to get out, get on the horn and say something similar because I absolutely agree. You know, I think some historically, maybe over the last couple de- decades, folks have thought, oh, the fact that Michigan is cold, you know, or, for example, is, is a challenge, but it's not cold. We have four seasons, right? It's beautiful. And right now, if you look out your window um, and look at the beautiful colors and you get the opportunity to do four season sports, you know what I mean? I've always felt like Michigan's weather was in, in a competitive advantage, frankly. And I love that you're starting to tell that story. But your point going forward, you know, I think that will be more and more the case. I think, you know, a lot of us saw um, some of our our friends in um, southern states really suffer over the last year with you know real cha- heat challenges. Frankly, you know having really really high temperatures for really long periods of time. And in Michigan, I think we want to be you know a great spot, a great alternative for those folks that are looking for great year round weather to not have to struggle with that in the summer. Instead, to be able to enjoy per Michigan here. At the same time as we're building the industries that are really leading the fight against the climate crisis, like the EV industry and um, renewable energy and others that we hope, you know, will be a great service to folks around around the world. So um, we're doing it all here. Love it. I mean, listen, Phoenix, great town. No water, (laughs) no water. Michigan, full of water. So much water. There's a headline. Okay. 80% of North America's fresh water, in fact. We should put that on a t-shirt. I like that. We should. I know Justin said that that was the last question, but I have one question. Have have people your entire life said what up, though, to you? Do you get that a lot? Yeah, it's actually so funny because when I say the three legs of the stool for really growing places are great opportunities, you know, great places, um, beautiful communities, and also welcoming communities, it's 100% true that I've always felt very welcomed in Detroit, as you can imagine, because of my last name. (laughs) So you're comfortable then if we name this podcast title, What Up Doe? Listen, you know, like I said, it's a choose your own adventure. Be open to your interpretation. (laughs) I love it. We we debated whether that was going to be okay or not uh, repeatedly here. I'm just glad you didn't roll your eyes. I love Detroit. I'm happy to be associated. (laughs) Yeah, I love Detroit. Happy to be associated any way I can be. Love it. Well, if you don't mind, we'll just do the lightning round really quickly and then get you out of here. Oh, fun. All right. Cool. What is the last song that you listened to? Honestly, Do You Love Me by The Condors. My kids love that song and the Motown classic. So wow. The Condors <laughs> was not on my notes as likely. The nice, nice, deep. I like but you're that. You're going to listen to it right after this. I am now, yeah. <laughs> the Motown plug. Uh, what is the last show that you streamed? Okay, well, this I'm less proud of, but the truth is love is blind. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was last well, week's answer, I think we, we get this too. answer uh, much more frequently. Thought maybe yeah. a great British baking show, but no, it's oh, it's love is blind. <laughs> no, I'm I'm a little behind. I've been busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your favorite tourism destination in Michigan? If you had to pick one, it's so hard, right? Do people always struggle with this? It's like choosing between your children. I <laughs> truly, you know, love so much all parts of our state. I did though just come back from the UP. And my UP swing was so gorgeous, truly unbelievably beautiful with the leaves changing. I was going to say, did you get peak color? It had such a soft place in my heart. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, beautiful. I understand why they say once you cross the bridge, it's hard to come back. But so I would have to say Marquette. Love that answer. I love it. We get, there's plenty of UP love on this podcast and that's, that's a great answer. A lot of it coming from Justin. It's gorgeous. <laughs> um, what is your go-to cocktail of choice? 
So I am generally a mocktail girl, I'll be honest. But if I go for a real cocktail, probably like a whiskey sour. I'm a no umbrellas, no fruit kind of kind of girl. Nice. Straightforward. I'm like going to throw one more in here. Is it Michigander or Michiganian? Don't get her in trouble with the governor. this is a hot debate. <laughs> I know this is a hot debate. Um, I almost don't want to. I, I don't know the answer. We'll let the chips fall where they may. I honestly currently am rotating them um, to see Smart. what I can what I can get comfortable with. We'll see. We're, we're still doing field tests, I guess. <laughs> That's fair. All right, Hillary. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your Thank time. Thank you. This was so much fun. Really appreciate it. And like I said, excited to stay in partnership with all of you while we grow the state. Yeah. And Hillary will be joining us at the Will Conference in three weeks. So Women in Hospitality Leadership, November 15th, 15th. in Grand Rapids. Slight plug. I'm excited. All right. See you there. Thank you. Thanks, Hillary. Uh,